0: Well hey, Merry Christmas. Are you happy to be in God's house? I'm sorry, I was just so impressed with their singing. They're pretty good, aren't they? Can you clap for the team? (laughs) Hey, listen, before we begin, let's pray. Will you stretch your hands to heaven? Let me pray tonight. God, I thank you um, that you join us. You meet us right where we're at, and God, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by what you continue to do through this house, and it's humbling, God, to be used by you, and in a season that, seasons that aren't always perfect, God, I'm grateful that you allow us to see a glimpse of you and to know that even though things may not be easy, you're still present and you're still with us. And for that, we're grateful. Father, tonight we ask that you would do something in our hearts. Holy Spirit, do something in us. May we leave different. May we leave changed. We're grateful that we found in your house tonight in your precious and holy name we pray. A faith-filled church amen Amen. Let's clap for Jesus. Come on. (laughs) Hey, as you're being seated, say hi to the person next to you. Say hello. Be friendly. Come on. that's called missing your cue. You know what I mean? When you walk out and I'm like, wow, they sound so good. I'm like, oh wait, I'm supposed to walk out. Hey, listen, if you're here for the first time uh, tonight, we're just glad that you're with us. And uh, this is, what number service is this of the week? And number four of six that we're having in the life of the church. And I'm just, I'm I'm so excited. It would be um, inappropriate really of me not to mention to you that it takes Um, well over there will be well over 300 people that serve throughout this weekend so that we can have the six services that we're going to have in the production uh, or creative encompass kids and guest services both here at Mantua and at Collingswood and so can we just show some love to everyone who's serving and part of what God's doing just grateful for you and it's an exciting season in the Eisenhart household and uh, I am the father of three wonderful children and uh, passionate um, children and enthusiastic kids, and it's never a dull moment. And I I, I suppose I prefer it that way, but it's a little bit wild around Christmas time, and you know the anticipation's high, right? Do you remember when you were... excited about Christmas, and usually the night before on Christmas Eve, you just couldn't sleep. The anticipation was stirring so much that that you were just excited about what was to come the next morning. Well, my children are the same way, and and Harper is six years old, Avi is five, and Levi is three. And um, Levi is like wound up to 115% when he wakes up all the way until he goes to sleep at night. But Harper's intense. She's calculated. She's, she's the person that I, used to bother me in school because she'd get a hundred and then miss the extra point and act like she failed. You know what I mean? And she's just she's, she's, she's a very smart little girl. Too smart for me. And, and, uh, and she made this wreath and, and would pull off the chains as we would get closer to Christmas. And it was a real joyful thing. Like she'd come down and be like, another day closer to Christmas. But now she's kind of done with it. You know what I mean? She's a little bit too long so She pulls them off and comes down and throws it on the table. One more day closer, you know. And I'm like, well, relax, honey. It's all right. It will come. And then poor Avi, she's the sweetest. She comes down every morning still and says, Dad, is it Christmas today? And I'm like, no, honey. (laughs) For the last... (laughs) three weeks. It's not, I will tell you when it comes, but she just keeps asking. Levi has no idea what's going on. Um, He's just, he just sees the tree up, and he loves it. Um, He took it upon himself the first two weeks the tree was up to slowly break every single ornament on the tree that my wife had put up, and to the point where she couldn't take it anymore. And, uh, and so he was prohibited from even being within any, like a 10-foot proximity of the tree. He wasn't allowed there. The girls would scream if he got close to it. And, and, uh, but it's an exciting season for me in the household. And everyone is anticipating and has a high level of expectation for what's going to happen on Christmas morning. And I love this season because all of us have a sense of expectation and anticipation. There's like this wonder of Christmas but in the, same, in the same breath with this anticipation and the expectation that we have, how many of you know like this is a season where unexpected things can happen? Yes. Unexpected things can happen. And, and I don't know about, I don't know what your life has been so far, but I can, I would, I would venture to say that many of you, and maybe you're, you're here tonight and you're, you would describe your season now, your right now season as an unexpected season. You didn't plan it. It wasn't part of, of your plan. It was an unexpected thing. But here you are tonight. And if I were to talk to you afterwards, you would almost say, this is a bit comical that I'm in church because I, this is unexpected for me. I would have never seen myself here. But here I am. And I don't know about you, but every time Christmas comes around, I'm reminded of unexpected things. Unexpected things. Have you ever received an unexpected gift? And, and, and you, know, you want to to the best of your ability within the facial expressions that you can give act like you're happy about the gift you received but you really don't know how to act happy because you don't like what you received and um, I've been in that situation I've also been in the situation as a father buying gifts for my children with this high level of expectation for them to enjoy the gift that I've given them and they just play with the box have you ever had that happen as a parent and so, for the next forty minutes, you're like, next year I'm just buying you a box. That's it, and you will just probably love it. And it's unexpected. And the reason I'm talking to you about unexpected things is because I can't open the Bible and read through the Gospels and and hear of the entrance, the birth, and the life and ministry of Jesus without constantly seeing unexpected things. Since everything was so unexpected. Now, I don't know about your life. I don't know if you could, if you would describe it. And it's, it's funny, right? Because when we use the word unexpected, it's usually coupled with either something that is, is good, you know, it was just unexpected. I got a bonus. Or, you know, maybe your last child, you're like, it was an unexpected blessing from God. I didn't plan it, but God blessed me. And sometimes the unexpected things are things that are not so good a loss of a job, a loved one, a bad medical report. Whatever it may be, it could be unexpected. And, and this is what I know about God, and I want you to get this tonight because it's important, is that God works in the unexpected. Like He actually meets you in the unexpected things. And I need you to know this because a lot of people who, who believe in Jesus and confess their faith in Jesus, their life is often lived miserable and and frustrated because they don't permit God to determine their steps. In the scripture it says that man makes his plans, but God determines their steps. Do you know what that means? It means that when you say yes to Jesus, in the fine print of your life, you say, God, listen, I'm going to make a plan because your word says that that I should live with vision in my life but I give you permission to deviate from my plan, and I'm going to trust you regardless. And even if it's not part of my plan, I'm going to trust you. Now, this is what happens. Typically, in unexpected seasons, we start to lose it. And we start to plead with God and say, God, why? God, how? Why is this happening? How can it be fixed? And It's almost as if we feel like we're losing a sense of control. Well, maybe you never even really had control, but you had the sense of control. And sometimes God wants you to be broken out of this, re- this false reality that you live in, thinking that you are actually God and you control everything, and to remind you that there is someone greater than you, who, whose thoughts are above your thoughts, whose ways are above your ways, who wants to walk with you every day, and sometimes the only way He can get you to see Him for who He is is to interrupt your plan with unexpected things. and You know, I've learned that even though sometimes difficult things can happen, that God doesn't cause them, but He can use them. The Bible says that God, in, He can use all things. He can use all things. Scripture says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. Do you know, over 2,000 years ago, a very unexpected thing happened. There were the Jewish people at the time with a high level of expectation. They were expecting a Savior to arrive. And... and. Not only expecting it, the reason they have the level of expectation is because over a hundred prophecies not only were told of the coming of Jesus, but were fulfilled by Jesus. The probability of that is incredible. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, 700 years, 700 years before the arrival of Jesus Christ onto the scene. This is what he prophesied. happen do you know what i love about god no matter how hard you try your life is forever connected to his story it always will be whether you see it or not your journey and your life is connected to his story one of the things i love about god is 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 sometimes it's easy to hear about god in good seasons and it's it's difficult to understand and to hear about a loving god in a difficult season and sometimes it's hard to kind of fit the, fit the two together. Okay, God loves me, but I'm walking through this. God cares for me, but I just lost someone. God lo- God's my provider, but I just lost my job. And this is what we need to know, go- that, that God is our refuge. He is our fortress in our time of need. He is the one that actually strengthens us in those seasons. But sometimes we don't learn unless we walk through an unexpected season. And God teaches us. I'm fascinated by by the Christmas story. I'm fascinated by the way that God, a holy, powerful, almighty God, chooses and decides to send His Son into humanity to save humanity from its sin. Of all the ways to do it, I mean, I've rehearsed the ways that I thought God should do it. I really did. I'm thinking, like, you have the, the, the armies of heaven. I mean, they could have come down with white horses, swords on their back, and come down and carried little baby Jesus in a basket. And they could have come into the emperor of Rome and placed him there and says, this is who he is. He is the king. He is our commander. He will never sin. He will rule and reign forever. And you need to look after him. I mean, that'd be an entrance, wouldn't it? It'd be written in the history books. But so was this entrance. It was not only recorded by one, but by multiple sources beyond the Gospels. But in the New Testament, we see it recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Both Matthew and John were eyewitnesses of the story of Jesus, both throughout his journey and his life in his ministry, and, and not only that, we see that Mark had an eyewitness partner, if you would, in the, in the writing of his gospel with Peter. But Luke, I love Luke because Luke, as a physician, the Scriptures record that he is so attentive to the detail by what he writes. He's not flipping and penning things. We know Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so as he writes, even at the beginning of his gospel, he says that all of these things, have been carefully investigated. He's taken time all the way from the beginning to make sure that what he writes down as the recording of the life of Jesus is carefully done. And the reason I draw your attention to that is so that you understand that not just so that Luke's gospel will be one that we focus on, but through the collective nature of all the gospels, there's this unity in describing this story, and in every description of the story, it appears to come across very unexpected. They were waiting for a Messiah, but because he did not arrive in the way that they thought he would arrive, many people missed it. You missed it. One of the things I think is so unique about unexpected seasons, when you go into an unexpected season, you often miss the things in the season you're supposed to see. I can tell you the first time I the very first year or two in ministry, my father brought me aside and he says, listen, people are going to come to you and they're going to be going through stuff. And everyone's going to want you to help them in finding a solution to their difficulty. But they're not going to want Jesus to be part of the equation. But he's the only solution to it. But they don't see it because it's unexpected. And sometimes in our culture, we're so familiar with who Jesus is that we miss the power and the authority and the holiness of who he is and what he brings into our life. The entrance of Jesus. It's unexpected. My life has been unexpected. I've been thinking about this this entire week, about what to share with you. And as I go through the course of my life, I've been sharing stories. And I feel like every service I share different stories, but... My life has been very unexpected. I'll never forget the first gift that, that we, my brother and I purchased together. My older brother, his name's Eric, and we purchased, we saved money and, and we purchased a, a dirt bike together. And my father made us work, I think it was almost two summers, we worked to purchase this dirt bike. I'll never forget, we each put up $800 and it took us two summers and a lot of savings and we paid cash for this XR100. It was a four stroke. It was powerful. It was pretty amazing. We used to ride wheelies everywhere. It was amazing. It was awesome. And I'll never forget the first time we got it, um, I was a, a, a little more plump than my brother was, and uh, it's the best way to describe it, and, um, and, and when we got the dirt bike, we realized something immediate when we got it. There's only one bike, and there's two of us. Well, we didn't think it too far, but we, we, we figured, like, it, it, we'll just take turns. Well, it's really hard to take turns when all your buddies come over with their own dirt bike, and you have one with your brother, and you got to share especially when you have to sit in the back and you have to let your brother drive because he's your older brother. And I'll never forget, well, it was one of our first rides and we're driving back in the woods and we were like, we, we were a bit risky the way that we do things. We weren't, we weren't okay with just driving in a field. It's like, who does that? You know, so we, we'd love to go down hills and up up, you know, steep terrain, like terrain that you should not attempt to do, but we were having fun, and I'll never forget, we were going down this hill, and it was so steep, and right when we were coming down the bottom, there was mud everywhere, and he accidentally, um, the wheel turns, it spins, it bends, and we launch, both of us, into the mud, into this like little ravine of dirt, and I remember looking at him thinking, you just ruined our bike, and he's like, it was because you are on the back and I can't steer it with your, you know, he has some choice words for my weight, you know. And, and, and I, re- I, remember, I remember that and I'm thinking like, what that was like a pinnacle moment for me and in, in, in my childhood memories of like, what a season. And then there was very unexpected moments in sharing it. But th- this is what I'm trying to get to. In the beginning of the plan, it seemed great. And then as it started to unfold, there were some unexpected things we didn't really think about along the way it's kind of like when, when you wouldn't know better unless you're married, but when you first start dating and, and you're engaged, it's like everything is perfect. There's nothing wrong with this person. Where did they come from? You know what I mean? They could do nothing wrong, and, and then you get married, and time elapses, and then you're like, what do you do right? You know what I mean? It's like, and, and they feel the same towards you, and you're like, I don't get this, And it's like it's unexpected things happen. But if someone told you that at the beginning, you wouldn't believe it. And I feel like when we read this story of the birth and the entrance of Jesus, we've colored it in a way to be so wonderful because it's the entrance of our Savior. But let's just be real for a moment. Scripture records Gabriel coming into the room where Mary was and saying, Mary, you are highly favored. And you will conceive a child and you will call him, his name will be Jesus. And in that moment, can you imagine, and and this is what I love about Luke, right before the angel comes and makes his pronouncement to her, (laughs) he says this so casually before the angel says that. Mary was engaged to a man named Joseph. Engaged. And then the angel would come and say, you will conceive a child through the Holy Spirit. And sometimes when we read that, we're like, oh, that's so awesome. Is it really awesome if you're Mary? Is it awesome if you're Joseph? Imagine being, sharing that conversation. I need to talk to you. <laughs> talk to this angel this afternoon, you know. It was strange, you know, but this is what happened. <laughs> it's unexpected. And not only the unexpected entrance into humanity, but the birth was unexpected. And here we read in Scripture that, that, that Joseph had the responsibility to take his pregnant wife with him to go and register because they were taking a census. The emperor had required that a census be taken, and we read in Scripture that Joseph was required to go to the place of his ancient origin, if you would, and so they had to travel. And it wasn't like a short little travel. Like sometimes like when, I, when I read this story initially, I'm like, oh, yeah, they, they rode a donkey. It was like three football fields. Like big deal. No, no. No, no. 90 miles. 90 miles. Where would 90 miles put you from here? Down by the shore, past the shore. Top of North Jersey. Okay. Ride a donkey there next time. You're curious. Okay. <laughs> Say, I want to do an experiment. I'm going to ride a donkey to New York City. No, then, then throw this in the equation. Walk that with a donkey and then bring an, a, a pregnant woman, not just a pregnant woman, someone who's nine months pregnant. <laughs> Poor Joseph. You know what I mean? No, I'm sorry. Poor Mary, you know. Nine months pregnant. My wife and I are expecting our, our, our fourth child. She's seven months. And, and I, can, I cannot fathom that. And can I just say this to you? We read the story of Jesus so casually. Oh, Mary's conceived the child. Oh, and Mary's getting ready to give birth. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You, you, if you asked someone to write out the most horrific, the hor- most horrific week of giving birth this would be it. And can I just say something? Like the angel never said that to Mary when he told her the news. Hey, by the way, I um, don't know how to tell you this, but when the week comes for you to actually go into labor, which is, you're going to love that. And when that happens, that week, like you're going to have to ride on a donkey. For about 90 miles. Now I know why the angel didn't tell her all the details. But can I tell you, that was the reality of the birth. (laughs) I I feel such a... The reason I'm trying to tell you this is because in some weird way in Christianity we have carved carved out this expectation in our mind that if it deviates from a plan that I've laid out, God's departed from it. Sometimes when it deviates from the comfort of your plan, it means God's now in it. It's not always easy. And it's often unexpected. Some of you, you would never know this unless I told you, but this church was birthed out of an unexpected set of circumstances. This wasn't like, this was not, this house, True North, was not part of the original plan that the founding pastors had in mind. But God deviated. He, they had their plans, and God directed the steps. And you know what happens when God directs your steps? It requires something. Else. It requires you, because this is what happens with many people. When God deviates from your plan, there's one of two things that can happen. You get more. You can get bitter, or you can get better. And in the process of getting better, this is what increases your level of trust in God. And you say, God, I trust you. When Gabriel told Mary about the the circumstances and the events, when he first talked to her, she responded in a way, she says, let it be done as you say. She displayed this sense of, I trust you. And sometimes for us as as believers, and maybe you're here tonight and and your life has been a, a, a journey of unexpected events. And I would be lying to you if I, if I was standing on this platform and told you, hey, my entire life I planned on being here. This was never part of the plan. <laughs> and as I look back over the course of my life, it was almost like in everything, in, in elementary school, in athletics, in college, in everything, in, in work, in, in the way that my wife and I met, in everything. I could not make it up, but it was unexpected. But God met me in the place of the unexpected seasons. And I suppose some of you just need to hear this tonight. That maybe you feel like you're in a place, or maybe you are, not you feel, maybe you are in a place that's just unexpected. And the reason it's so difficult to deal with is because you don't see a way out of it. One of the hardest things to do is to walk a journey. Not blind of where you're going, but blind of what's next. And only being able to know who holds your future and have no idea what the future looks like. Jeremiah 29, 11, the Lord declares over His people, over His sons, over His daughters, those who are, who are, to those who are in Christ, and He says, for I, for I know the plans I have for you. Which Which we read this, and the first time I heard this, I'm like... For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The first time I read that in the frame, the picture frame that my mom put up over our toilet in the boys' bathroom, I'll never forget it. I remember reading it, and I'm not getting The first time I read it, I'm like, God's going to be with me. But you know what I said? God's going to be with me in accomplishing the plans that I have. And I was like, oh, God, I got big plans. And I remember walking out and saying, man, God's going to be with me. That's not what it said. It says, he knows the plans he has for me. Plans to prosper me and not to harm me. Plans to give me a hope and a future. Sometimes you're more, con- you're more concerned with God getting behind your idea and God serving you than you serving God. And I'm here to tell you tonight, listen to me very carefully, God's plan for your life makes your best plan suck. Suck. Like, I don't know a better word to say. I really don't. I do, but I don't want to say it. Like, hear me now. Listen to me. I'm trying to be as articulate and fancy as I can, okay? The best plan for your life. Some of you are like, no, no. Listen, I got the plan. It's this house. It's this. It's the promotion. It's this. It's that. No, no. It's really not. God knows you better than you know you. He knows your future better. God holds the earth in the palm of his hand. He holds galaxies together. He's created the heavens and the earth. He's an all-powerful God, described as the Alpha and the Omega. He's not constrained within time. His mind and his thoughts are above yours. His ways are beyond your ways. So when God says, I know the plans I have for you, why do you question them? You want to know why we question them? It's because often God's plans are plans that deviate from ours. You can't pick up the word of God and see and and get a few pages in to where you don't see something unexpected. Abraham was called by God. He's the father of our faith. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Abraham was said, God, God spoke to him. He says, "Your, your, Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars. He had no children. He used to get mocked and made fun of for it. And then all of a sudden, God gives him a child, him and his wife, at their latter years, really old. And he gives him a son. His name's Isaac. And the the craziest thing happens. It's like you're reading the text, and then all of a sudden, Isaac comes. You're like, wow, this is a good story. Man, God is faithful. And then all of a sudden, God says, take Isaac to the mountain and sacrifice your first. You're like Rena, you're like, that's gotta be a misprint. This can't be right. What is this? And he calls him to do something so unexpected, and then what does he do? What does Abraham do? He's been waiting his whole life for this blessing, for this thing, and then God says, sacrifice it, lay it down. And then I'm reading, I'm saying, Oh my gosh, you're like, what faith that requires. What trust that requires. And so he goes to the mountain, and on the mountain, God provides another sacrifice. It is this foreshadowing of the greatest gift that God would give to all humanity in his son, Jesus Christ. The gift of salvation is unexpected. Why is it unexpected? Because in our culture today, you can't receive anything without working for it, without paying for it. Often, if you give a gift to someone you don't know, they feel this obligation to return the favor and to pay it back. No one wants anything for free. No one wants anything from anyone else. We all, we all want to work on our own. We all want to accomplish it on our own. My friend, you cannot accomplish the thing of salvation, this offer, this gift of salvation that comes through Jesus. You can't work towards it. You can't purchase it. And I've been watching people for the last 10 years come and go through church life and encounter God and be part of church and leave and I've noticed two things with people that keep people out of relationship with Jesus. Many times people don't want to entertain the idea of eternity. It frightens them. The idea of death scares them. And so the default response to fear is to not talk about it. (laughs) But you can't escape it. And so as I talk to people about eternal things, I've come across two things. One is this idea of shame. Self-condemnation. These people feel they can never do anything right. They've had too too many unexpected moments. God's given up on them. He's departed from them. They're the people that say, no, I'm not worthy of it. I can't do it. My friend, let me speak to you real quick. No one is worthy. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None are righteous, not even one. We've all sinned. And some, though they look good on the outside and like they have it all together, I'm here to tell you tonight that everyone has missed the mark. That's what sin is. It's missing the mark. And it's because of that, that sin separates us from relationship with God. There's something else that keeps people from Jesus. It's pride. It's arrogance. And people say this. They say, I don't need God. I I don't need them. I'm all right. And even if they don't say defiantly before people, they believe it in their heart. I don't need this religion. I'm not talking about religion tonight. Religion makes you aware of the things you cannot accomplish. But I'm talking about a relationship that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And that relationship comes at a point of you recognizing you can't save you. You can't fix you. And the only way that your life will be changed and molded and, 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 and made into the image of Christ is if you get to the place, my friend, in your journey of life to say, I can't save me, and I choose Jesus. And how do you choose him? The Bible says that you repent of your sin. You say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. I love it. Some people say, hey, listen, I'm not that bad, Pastor. You know, it's on like a scale, you know. And sometimes people will say these things to me. They're like, Hey. Listen, I haven't killed anybody, you know? I'm like, I, that's not the benchmark for getting into heaven, okay? Like, I haven't, only the people that don't kill people, like, that's not it. And I'm here to remind you of something, that a criminal was nailed on a cross next to Jesus. Some, the people that are self-righteous, that deal with issues of self-righteousness, they don't like this story in, this, in the scripture. You know why? Because in their mind, it's not fair. But grace is not fair. Because grace is dispensed to people who don't deserve it. The Bible says in Romans that while we were still sinners, God demonstrated His love towards us and sent Christ to earth to bleed and to die on a cross so that you and I could stand in the presence of a holy, perfect, just God. And when He sees us, He doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see our imperfections. He doesn't see our insecurities, our vulnerabilities. He doesn't see our mistakes to the past. He doesn't see our mistakes to the present or the future. You know what he sees? He sees the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And when he sees that, he sees the righteousness and the perfection of his finished work on the cross. Some of you think that that the people that believe in Jesus are somehow perfect. No, we've recognized, my friend, that we cannot on our own stand in the presence of a holy God without the work of Jesus Christ. And so when we gather together, that's why we worship. That's why we praise. That's why we give. That's why we believe the word of God because we cannot do this on our own. We don't fight against flesh and blood, we fight against spiritual principalities of darkness. And the only way that I will not go back, the only way that I can overcome the enemy is to walk with the authority that's been given me through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Come on, let's clap for Jesus. It's so unexpected. When Jesus was going to the cross, the week of his crucifixion was so unexpected. Peter was wild. Pe- Peter, one of the disciples walking with Jesus, he was just, he was one of the guys like that you're friends with that always reacts and says, you know what, I should have thought about that before I did that type thing. He's that guy. And we all know, maybe you are Peter, but um, uh, Peter's awesome, passionate. Jesus shared with them the story of him having to go to the cross and he says, no, 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 it's not going to happen. And we see in Scripture, Jesus says something that's just really strange in one dialogue with Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. And you're like, whoa, that got really intense quickly. (laughs) Why? Peter was frustrated that he was talking about a plan that deviated from what Peter's plan was. And he reminded Peter, listen, I didn't come to fulfill your plan. I came to fulfill his. And that's my call to fulfill his plan. And this is the plan that he has for my life. I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to bleed, and I'm going to die. And I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be ridiculed. I'm going to be humiliated. And I'm going to carry the sin of the world upon my shoulders. And I'm going to defeat sin and death. And I will raise to life on the third day. And I will be victorious. And in that moment, Peter recognized that this is not what I expected Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the grave. Martha just throws him a party in his honor. All these events come by, and then there on the last day, he's crucified only on the third day to be raised to life. It's through the resurrection that we have the faith and the belief that we do. And maybe you're here tonight, and you've been involved in church events. (laughs) Can I just encourage you? What prevents you from saying yes? To Jesus what is it what prevents you from saying yes I have some dear friends that I love with all my heart but it's not proof I've bought him more books about the resurrection of Jesus there's more recorded data in history about the life of Jesus than any other historian more than Julius Caesar Augustus and all of them but it's not about that sometimes it's because of the pain of this life the journey they've gone through, the unexpected paths they've taken. And sometimes it's just the sheer pain that they're walking in, that they just refuse to believe in a God of love and care and joy. My friend, I need to tell you something. God never intended difficult things to be part of your journey. But sin changed it all. Sin destroyed and disrupted God's plan for humanity. And the only way that He could restore the plan was by sending his son, Jesus. And so tonight, before you go, I want to ask if you're ready to say yes to Jesus. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes before we go tonight? If you're here and you know that you can't save yourself and you're ready to surrender your life and say yes to Jesus, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. It's a simple prayer, my friend, but it's it's a significant one. Significant because the Bible declares that on the other end of this prayer that you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And you're like, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that your boss is going to disappear and all the problems are going to be worked out and all these things are going to be magically taken care of. You know what it means? It means that the same power that raised Christ from the grave will now live in you. The Bible says your spirit, up until this prayer, is dead, it's, it's non existent. But when you say yes to Jesus, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes to abide within you. And my friend, that's what enables us to live this life that God's called us to live the power of the Holy Spirit and it happens at the point of salvation. And so if you're here tonight and you're ready to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to lead you in this prayer. And let me remind you, it's not a casual prayer to say, oh, I've messed up yesterday. This is a prayer to say, God, I surrender my life to you, and I'm willing to live for you to be called a son or a daughter of God. Church, come on, help me lead people in this prayer. Repeat this prayer after me. You're not going to be the only one saying it, but if you're saying it for the first time, believe it in your heart. Come on, repeat this prayer, church. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you died on the cross and raised to life. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Come on, church. Hey, thanks for watching. I pray that that message was a blessing to you. And I pray it's encourage you um, wherever you find yourself in your journey. Of life, We never like to end any one of our services without giving you um, the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised to life, that you will be saved. And salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work towards it. It can only be received. It's this incredible grace that comes only from God. So the Bible says that right where you are in your season, not trying to fix anything else, not trying to get yourself better, not waiting or putting off salvation, but today to make the decision to say yes to Jesus, that you know you can't save you, that you need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says it only requires you to say a simple prayer. So repeat after me, just say this prayer. Say, Dear dear Jesus, Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. Come into my life and make me new. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus name, amen. Listen, if you just said that prayer, we believe that your eternity is secure in Christ. One of the things that I wanna encourage you to do, your next step, if you would, um, is to tell somebody, whether you're telling us through the website and contacting us and informing us or telling someone else at a local church that maybe you visited. The second thing I wanna encourage you to do is to be planted in a healthy Bible-based church, whether it's True North Church or another church close to you. Find a church community to do life with. Man, we're so excited for you. Make sure that you get a Bible if you don't have one, please reach out to us. We'd love to bless you with the Bible and encourage you on your journey with Jesus. I'm excited for you. I truly believe that your best days are still ahead.